When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, it's midweek. We have a special episode of Explain Yourself uh, with a couple great guests we're excited to talk to. Um, but before we bring them in, I guess we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what's been going on in the Kickstarter scene and uh, comics in general. Joey, how's it going? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Doing good, doing good. Busy week, but always fun to take a break and talk about comics. Yeah, man it's it's been a it's been a fun week, man. Um, lots of stuff going on. I know you have. A bunch of promotion for Scarlet going on. Um, oh, we got one of our guests. Awesome. Oh, yes, Tony. How's it going? Sorry Good. about that. How are you? Uh, we're doing great. We were just gonna we were gonna banter a little bit before uh, any of our guests pop in <laughs> popped in because we know some uh, you guys are running just a little bit late. Uh, but wonderful, you're here. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on your show. Great Appreciate to be here, or great to have you here. I've I've been following Star Noir for a while, and uh, excited to meet you and talk to you and um, talk about this book, which is looking really cool. Cool, man. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, so, and I was we were talking a little bit about it right now. That we've got we we both have a couple of things that we're we're promoting as well. Um, Benjamin is working on Scarlet Twilight um, today. Uh, we uh, I'm working on Don't Push the Red Button, which is an anthology, a 100 plus page anthology. And I was just, we were just talking about it behind uh, in the backstage uh, and we got projects we love and which starter today. So that's always super exciting uh, to see that something like that on Kickstarter. So t- tell us a little bit about your Kickstarter. If you can give us the quick log line uh, of the story really quick, and then we'll jump right into all that good stuff. Uh, it's about a 1940s detective who teams up with uh, a gray alien to stop a shapeshifter who's killing LAPD officers in Central Station. It's L.A. Noir meets the X-Files. Nice. That sounds awesome. And, um, and yeah, is this your first Kickstarter or how many have uh, you done so far? Uh, I, let's see. This might be the, my fourth one, my third successful one. So, so with the with the unsuccessful one, was that your first one? Uh, that was like a, a short film that I was making in college, uh, and it was a little, the Kickstarter was very haphazardly put together. So it, it's it's not like it not making its goal was uh, completely crazy. 
Yeah. Um, but the other one uh, was a comic book, a cyber, is a cyberpunk comic about a virtual reality bounty hunter, um, uh, and that one was successful. Uh, and then uh, cool. I just I started making Star Noir, uh, and that um, that that kind of really took off. So yeah, I was going to ask. Uh, some, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, Ben. I was just going to say I was I was going to ask some questions to Ben about some marketing and stuff. Um, but I have a quick question about, especially you know, going from having a um, an unsuccessful comic or or a project, and then going into successful ones. Um, how do you feel? Did you did you learn from those? Because I feel like. I, I constantly tell my kids, I'm like, I got a five-year-old who's like, dad, I just don't know how to do it. I'm just so upset at myself. Right. And I'm like, well, sometimes son, you got to learn through mistakes. Right. And I feel like as we jump in, I feel like almost every single person's first campaign is a, is a mistake. Right. So, so tell us a little bit about how you uh, progressed from that first campaign. Uh, well, I mean, you know, being bad at something is a start of being good at something. Um, uh, so you kind of really kind of once it fails, you kind of look about look at what it could have done better, and it really just kind of seemed like it just needed to be more of a complete package. You need to show a, a more fuller vision, you know, full colors, full letters, uh, give people a really great look at the project, um, and just really kind of come across as as having a, a full plan. I mean, we don't come across; we actually do have a uh, do have a plan, um, but yeah, just kind of kind of generating some like backer confidence in the way that you put your uh, campaign together. Yeah, that's, I think really uh, the community and how people like will look at your past campaigns. Uh, and really, I found people really will chime in all sorts of stuff, like uh, how much you're asking for and, and whether they're okay with that. And I noticed in your campaign, you've got that big graph of, Hey, here's what the money's going towards. You know, really it's, art uh mainly which of course as an artist i like to see people uh you know kind of build up and, and let people know that that's a big expense or, or it ought to be um but i think your your page is really well set up to reassure backers a of what you've been doing um b and i think most obviously that it's a great book with great art uh and c that you you've got a good plan for all this and you've delivered before mm -hmm. yeah yeah, um, yeah. It, it's just uh, basically trying to show all your cards to the backer to be like you're you're backing something that is is definitely has a great team. It's going to be made in a timely manner, and that we're going to constantly keep an open dialogue uh, between the creator and the and the backer every step of the way. Yeah, I noticed you said in one part of it that you would, you kind of committed to biweekly updates, which I thought was smart to just kind of set an expectation. Oh uh, yeah. Running mind that's actually, like i didn't yeah, know actually, how often to do it or yeah, yeah. so that's um, a good thing to have yeah it's actually what we did for the first book uh we did bi-weekly updates uh we, we we did it from from the end of the campaign all the way through people getting it in the mail uh every every two weeks i would check in i would show them new art i would if there were any delays i would tell them about what the delays were and give them a time frame for when we would uh bounce back from a delay um and yeah we just did that consistently to the point where like i i kind of almost don't even need to think about it. I kind of like, oh, I think I think another update's coming. I got to do an update this week because it's been been another two weeks. Yeah, that's where I always struggled with, you know, especially if there were delays, of course, how often I was going to talk about things. And it, you know, a little bit of time, the time it's going to be driven by, you know, we had this delay or we just heard from the printer that this isn't as far along as we had hoped. 
But um, yeah, I, that's I always, when I saw it, I thought, oh my god, why did I ever think of doing that? Just saying, hey, it's going to be every week, every other week, whatever. Um, just I think put everybody at ease, but also lower the tension on myself a little bit. On am I am I communicating too much? Am I bugging people? Am I letting people you know not hear from me too much? And then they're wondering what's going to go on because there are so many campaigns out there that just aren't delivering uh, when they ought to be as well. So um, I think that's smart. Um, but yeah, I think uh, this is a really cool book. Um, and uh, we have our other guest here, so he's going to give us the quick elevator pitch of his book. Um, let's bring in Peter Taylor. Peter, how's it going? Hello, gentlemen. How are you doing? I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. <laughs> it happens. Peter's uh, got a Kickstarter live for a book called Pioneer Blood and Stars. Um, Peter, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Um, just quick elevator pitch um, on what the story is about. I've learned to really, really slim down my elevator pitch. So I, I will literally try and do it in one, in, in one line and then maybe talk about it a bit more later. Um, when mankind reaches for the stars, which hopefully isn't too far away, there may be stowaways. That's the kind of hook. Um, but I'll tell you more about the story um, when it's, uh, when I've apologised 27 times for being English and late. <laughs> I guess it happened. I, I, did, I didn't know that that was a thing. Is that is that like a regular thing among the English? <laughs> Apologizing. Oh yes, we're worse than Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I love that. So so I wanted to talk a little bit about about because so my thing is is marketing, right? I I am a publicist, comic book publicist, and and marketer, right? So I always kind of bring into the strategy of like. How are you guys marketing this thing? So, Peter, I, Peter, I want to go to you first a little bit. Um, how, how many how many projects have you done uh, on Kickstarter so uh, today? This I think is my seventh, sixth, seventh. And how how have you progressed since number one all the way to number seven? So, again, maybe I'll get into the story of how I came about to do number one just about three years ago um, in a bit because it's a windy story in itself. Um, but it was a fairly it, the, the first book in my series, Wren, which was about Sir Christopher Wren, again being English, uh, that's the kind of thing that you write about. Um, um, I'd always wanted to write a book, had never done it. I actually found at the start of lockdown some pages in my attic um, that I wrote forty years ago, or I drew forty years ago. Um, dusted them off, couldn't find a script, wrote a story. And then showed some friends, um, look, I made a book. And they said, well, what are you going to do with it? And I said, well, I don't know. I've shown it to you. That's, <laughs> that's it, isn't it? And then it, I mean, literally um, somebody mentioned to me Kickstarter, which I had truly never heard of before. I'd heard of crowdfunding, but I never actually heard of Kickstarter before. Um, so I learned a bit about that the, the platform um, and um, uh, you know and how you used it, and I threw the book on there, really not knowing what would happen. And it garnered a little, it garnered some nice response from some people, some very kind people. Um, and it did, uh, I think, about 40, 50 um, uh, uh, backers, because um, again, it is niche. Not everyone wants to read about 17th century London. Um, and I think by the time, and, and and then I went on from there. So I knew nothing about marketing. To be fair, I don't still really know an awful lot about marketing, Joey. Um, but um, it, it's something that is integral if you're going to do more than a couple of these and try and take mm -hmm. it, uh, you know, um, uh, into the 
into the, the, the realms of, of, of seriousness, which is something I guess we all hope to do, right? Yeah, I, I feel I feel the same way. Um, you know, marketing is one of those, especially marketing comic books, right? It's one of those industries or one of those those businesses that is always changing, and you can almost never get a get a finger on it. So you always have to have your you, you know, uh, uh, you always have to be aware of what's going on and always be knowledgeable and and getting in there. So, uh, um, Tony, I want to ask you a question. So how? How do you kind of tackle these things when you see something's not working within the campaign? Like going in there and, and you know, from the last campaign to, to the next, how many different changes do you do you make when you see something that doesn't make doesn't work? Um, it I guess it de- depends. I mean, I'm I'm kind of uh, when it comes to marketing, just trying to turn over as many rocks as possible. If there's a if there's somewhere, some platform or some way that I can kind of tell people about the book, uh, I will make something that's tailored to that platform. Um, I've done, uh, I, I edit a lot of, uh, short form videos, like 10 seconds or less. Um, and those do pretty well on like TikTok or YouTube. Um, and then I also, you know, I'm, I'm just a regular user on Reddit. And so sometimes I'll post about my comic book and people, uh, really want to go check it out through, um, through, through Reddit. Um, and then I also, Live with somebody who's very well versed in uh, marketing and analytics, so she takes care of, of a lot of that stuff. Cool, cool. That's hey, I've looked into Reddit a little bit. I've kind of not been the most you know regular user of it. Um, I kind of just have been popping in there when I have a campaign going, which is not what you should do. No. Um, but I've really been trying to broaden out ever since the last campaign I did. I've been starting to post TikTok videos, YouTube shorts, and uh, they do get a lot of views. And I feel like there's there's got to be, I think my approach has been a lot like what you describe. It's like, all right, I don't necessarily have the greatest plan or, uh, you know, a big amount of marketing experience within this field, but I'm just looking to be like, all right, is there some social network or especially some group within a social network where I think I'd be a good fit when I'm producing these people would like, if I could kind of get it in front of them. Um, I've been trying to put together when I was doing the last Scarlet Twilight, I was kind of looking at golden age comic book, um, groups on Facebook, which don't really allow promotional posts. But I started making some videos that were like about, say, JSA characters or something like that, mentioning my comic and posting them in there. And it was kind of just trying to to slide things into places where you know, people would, that would like this comic that are Golden Age fans or things like that um, could kind of get in there without really being too promotion-y, um, sort of just to follow the rules and also just to you know, be a little disarming as well, I think. Yeah, I think those uh, when when it comes to those kinds of like Facebook groups and and things of that nature that kind of prohibit you from self promotion, it's probably best to kind of just be involved in that community, right? You've got to look at it as, oh man, I don't want to be because I used to. I listen. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be this guy and tell you guys like some of my failures. I when I looked at Facebook groups and the first thing that I saw was no promotion. I'd be like, man, forget that. I'm not even going to go anywhere near that group. Right. Forget these guys. I'm going to be mad about it. But now I'm looking at it and I was like, oh man, I, I really failed myself and I failed my clients there because that was the opportunity to kind of jump in those communities mm-hmm. and be part of it and strike conversations and enjoy their, their conversations. And maybe I would have gotten a, a lot more people, you know, wanting to be part of what I'm doing because I sparked something inside them or I sparked a conversation or maybe they just liked how we conversated, right? 
and and now they just want to just back you because you're just a cool person now. I missed so many opportunities that way, and I think you're right, Ben. That that's that's I think we need to look at those ones a little bit yeah. differently and kind of get jump in the middle of the conversation and get in the community there. Yeah, and to be consistent about it. That's the thing with me. When I got done with the last campaign for August, I was just like. I do not want to open Twitter or Instagram for like a month if that would be feasible. But uh, yeah, it's really a matter, I think, of just being consistent in those places so that when you do have something to promote, it's not weird. It's not going to rub anybody the wrong way. And I think that's fair to these groups, too. They don't you know, just exist for us to pitch stuff at them. So, um, you know, that, that I think is the, the good way to go about it. Just takes a little more discipline and consistency than I've kind of thought to do so far. But yeah, hopefully that is the... Uh, something we can learn from. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Which is why I, I went out and I was like, okay, I love those ones, right? So I created two groups. I created a group where there's a, a community group, right? We all talk and, and all that stuff. And I also created a promotional group where I'm like encouraging everybody to just push your stuff. And then I kept it open so that we can also share everybody's things. Right. And, and, and one of the rules is if you're going to post something, share something, share somebody else's stuff. And, and, and I think that's a big, big thing. Like if we are, a, uh, you know, a community means we're helping one another. And I think, I think that's, that's one of the biggest keys here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I completely agree. Authenticity, as well as yeah. consistency. You said Ben, authenticity. If you, if there's a group that you don't want to participate in, it's best not to, because mm-hmm. people are smart, right? They they they, they smell it. And they they, they know yeah. what they know what they're seeing. Um, I don't actually do Facebook. Um, I don't really do social media at all. Um, I got on Facebook just a couple of years ago when someone said it would be a good place to find a colorist. Because I do everything myself apart from color, because I have absolutely no eye for color at all. Um, when my kids, you know, I'm I'm an older person, right? Um, when my kids all got on Facebook, you know, I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, um, it felt like I was reading their diaries, and I didn't want to read their diaries. Their diaries were not for me, so I uh, I stayed off it for years. So I've only been on it for a couple of years. Can't work it. Can't make it work. But I do enjoy uh, reading some of those, you know, uh, uh, and joining some of those groups. But again, being English, I don't comment a lot because it's like that was going to be interested in my opinion. I have the same I have the same issues when trying to promote my books. No one's going to be interested in my books; they're just my books. Um, and, and I'm learning actually that if you put something reasonable out into the world, people want to like you, and they and they, and, and they want to participate. And they want to see what you've got, and it's it, it, it's awesome. It's an amazing feeling. Really different for me. Really different experience. Yeah, so let's let's take a little bit of look through some of these really cool projects that you guys got going. Ben, if you wanna, do you wanna take yeah. over on that? Yeah, I'm gonna bring up. Um, let's jump over to Star Noir. I'm gonna bring that up right now. Sure We've kind of met already, haven't we, Tony? We were we've been we've been swapping cross proms. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Also, that's a uh, also another great benefit of uh, Kickstarter is that yeah. the uh, the cross promotion is is absolutely uh, key. 
uh, for, especially if you don't get a, a project we love early, uh, it's it's still a way to be seen by uh, by other campaigns. So I think it's, I think cross promotion is very helpful. Yeah, I really liked when I first got on Kickstarter and people were con. I didn't really even know that was a thing. I really came into that pretty cold a couple of years ago, and people were like, "Hey, do you want to do this?" I'm like, "Oh, that's like an awesome idea." And that's that's something I think you do only find on Kickstarter, um, mm -hmm. which is is good to take advantage of. Yeah. But uh, Tony, so I really I the thing that caught my eye on this book when it first when book one came out was the artwork and, and really primarily the colors as well were really good. Um, so your mm -hmm. team did a great job there. And I think you're doing something really cool with combining these genres. Um, you know, these are obviously things people like to see on Kickstarter, um, the kind of sort of a little bit off base, not necessarily superheroes, but combinations of familiar things. And you, you kind of, you've got a really good feel on an environment, a world and a, a simple pitch, but I think also a story that has a lot of, you know, turns to it. So give us a little bit more information about kind of how you started putting this together, how you got your team together, all that stuff. Uh, well, during the pandemic, uh, I wrote quite a few different stories. If, uh, if I just had an idea for something, I would just spend a few months just really kind of working out all the kinks of the story and then put it in a drawer. So, and then uh, when it came time to find uh, um, an artist, I, I picked up Star Noir. I thought that was a very strong book that people would respond to. Um, and then when I was um, yeah, I was looking for artists on Facebook, um, this, uh, this Argentinian uh, artist, Pablo de Bonas, he, uh, he reached out. Um, he started doing concept art for the very characters that you're seeing now. Um, and yeah, we just we just got right to work. And then um, before I knew it, I met this uh, colorist on Instagram, uh, Vinicius Townsend. He is from Brazil. He did some G.I. Joe covers for IDW. Um, and then he uh, we just kind of collaborated on on the, the, the vision together. Uh, it, it's it's um, usually when you're you're writing, you're writing for the artist. But I feel like like this team it's it's just one cohesive vision uh i pitch a vibe and then the artist uh they come up with something that is it's not identical to what i have in my head but it is pretty damn close um and um i'm just constantly blow, blown away by the things that they come up with off the script i feel like i write very simple descriptions uh and they come up with something very dynamic and very eye-catching um, i agree I agree. Uh, so uh, this is a a, a six-part uh, murder mystery series. Uh, this is book two. Uh, the first campaign raised uh, just over 10K, um, and then on Indiegogo, I raised uh, an extra four because people kept messaging me after the campaign was over, so I opened it up uh, to Indiegogo. Um, and yeah, and now we're back. Uh, the second book is uh, a little bit longer. The first book was 42 pages. This one's 46. Um, and so, yeah, it's... Um, very, very, uh, yeah, it's Star Noir. It really just combines the two genres and uh, in, in kind of an equal balance. Um, we fully commit to the 1940 setting. Um, we, we traverse kind of a, a very glamorized version of 1947 Los Angeles. Uh, and every time the um, something sci-fi happens or we bring in the aliens, uh, we really try to make a, a really concerted effort to um, do it with a sense of believability um, that it would fit in this world and it wouldn't feel at all that the noir elements were sort of brushed aside the moment an alien appeared. Yeah, I really get that in that page where he's in his car. You've got just a little bit of the period details just in the same image. And I think that's logistically a really strong storytelling choice because you're, I mean, obviously it's going to be a 40s car that he's abducted in, but 
really making sure there are just a couple things on every panel while this is happening uh, that that don't let you forget that you're in the 1940s really set that apart. And yeah. you touched on something earlier about the, that I noticed and was going to ask about a little later, the vibe of this. Uh, that's, I think, the strongest thing on these visuals. And you kind of touched on a little bit of how you describe that to your team and how they picked up with it. But I think I was going to ask if these people, if you guys have like lived in LA or, um, you know, taken, done a lot of research on a, the period and B how it looks uh, in general. Cause I, I really liked how rounded the, some of these images were in that you're not just getting, uh, you've got the palm trees, but you've got some other trees there. I think a lot of times when somebody draws LA, it's, it's palm trees or it's, it's just the very superficial, other comic book version of LA or something you'd see in a cartoon, it doesn't really have the right feel um, that you see in movies even, which is not to say it needs to be super authentic. It could just sort of have a more rounded, um, you know, visual appeal that, that reminds you of those old movies like LA confidential and things like that. Um, did you guys take a lot of time to really, you know, really nail down the specific visuals you wanted in the panels to sell the setting and the, the time period? Like how did you play with the balance of how much of that you show every page um, or did that just kind of come about naturally? Uh, no, we, we did a lot of uh, research uh, into 1940s LA. Um, every, every kind of detail that you see from the street to the car, to what the interior of the car looks like, to what the exteriors of a nightclub looks like, all of that is is pulled from historical photos and we sort of make it our own from there. Um, and then also uh, we took some inspiration from the video game LA Noir, which is which is built uh, a 3D 1940s Los Angeles. So any 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 spots there were some some visual gaps in our research, uh, I would go into that video game and take screenshots of uh, a bridge from certain different uh, from different angles. Uh, so that the art team had just like this basically 360 view uh, of how to recreate some of the architecture from that era. I think that paid off really well. I this like I feel like a lot of comics I see that that should be leaning on the types of thing that this things that this artwork shows that should really give you the environment. And that's something I really harp on with my stuff is I really want to get a lot of atmosphere in there. I really want to make this feel not just like a city street, a specific type of city street. Uh, I think it's a great storytelling tool. It, it kind of just looks cool. And I think that you guys really did a good job of that. And I think that video game, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say they've done that before, but I think that's obviously been a successful approach here and uh, definitely something people ought to try out more if there's a game that does that um, specifically. You know, and I know that Rockstar researches their stuff really well, so they're probably, you know, it's not going to be too comic booky or cartoony. They're going to have done some of that work as well. Uh, but that was a, that was a pretty good idea, and I'd say it worked out really well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There's just uh, so much detail. I mean, uh, the art, both the art, myself, the artist, uh, and the artist, we're just naturally uh, detail-oriented people. Uh, I, if we have this, this like this uh, band that you have right here on this page, uh, we we're not comfortable with just you know what's the interior look like, but what would the outfits look like if that you're playing a piano? What what were some of the piano designs that from that era? What does that drum set look like? You know, just really trying to just have a good reference point for every little detail that appears so that it feels uh, it feels really authentic and it feels very, very believable and lived in. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think something I admire as an artist is you did all that, um, which obviously shows it's it's really successful. But I think your artist was smart enough. And I don't know if this was at your suggestion 
but he's also done a lot of things here to get that across without giving himself a real headache on it's very easy to get lost in like a crowded nightclub room as an artist. When I see that in a script, I'm going to draw that someone else has written. I'm just like, Oh my God, what do they expect this to be. Um, and he's done this, like, especially this panel on the bottom here, that makes sense. That's a valid choice. Um, and you would have a dark, you know, audience section and, and have the lights on stage, but um, a real pro or somebody that's really doing a good job does. I think what he's done here is um, kept all the right elements focused upon made it so that there's not too much work to the yeah. drawing that he can concentrate on the details that you get, you know, up in the dress and on the instruments and the piano, like you said, I think um, all the right things were concentrated on here. And it, it's, I, I really like this page. The colors are amazing. Um, and it's just got it, the research you did really shows. Um, yeah. I, love I mean, the, the artist Apollo, he's in full control of, of the visuals that you see. I mean, I, I, I write very direct and to the point um, uh, panel descriptions, uh, mm -hmm. and he comes up with a big dynamic shot where there's there's more detail than I thought there was going to be. I mean, the the last panel on this page, it was really just you know Stella the singer just looks at her her band as she's singing the next part, but I didn't I I didn't think that he was going to show the audience in that one. I thought that was going to be more of like a personal, just show them and maybe one mm -hmm. or two of the bandmates. But he decided that he wanted to kind of show the, the the background the far background in addition to the the whole band together yeah, that's cool i mean and it establishes their relationship as well a little bit like you can in a movie you'd have that shot where the singer looks over at the trumpet player at the drummer something like that yeah. um really cool stuff and i assume that that's this is our our detectives here entering the room um, yes yeah, the, yeah the, in the far background which is re really cool uh, also another detail that i did not envision that this that was the artist the artist kind of came up with that part of, of how they would enter and, and be directly in the far background which i yeah. think is really cool yeah i'm always doing that just logistically if it's a script i have from somebody else and the next page is like way too much stuff happening or things that are going to be hard to show this happening in panel one and this in panel three if there's something i can say maybe we introduce these guys in some way and the, the previous page, previous panel, something like that. It gives me a little more room to make other images look really cool. Because a lot of times you get scripts. I, I used to get a lot of them. Um, I work with some really good writers now, but there would be like a page description and three of the panels on a six panels uh, page would say, this is a big panel. Like they can't mm -hmm. all be big panels. So it's a good artist that can do um, what your artist has done here and, and just pack a lot into a very appealing panel but one that leaves him room to do to, to show off a little bit because ultimately that's what I think people are looking for is they, they, they want all this stuff in there, but then they're like, oh, I packed it full of all this stuff, but now it's nothing looks that cool. And of course it mm. can't. Um, so yeah, I think the visuals um, are even stronger on some of these pages than were in the first campaign, which you know caught my eye immediately. Mm. Really cool stuff. Yeah. I, I think it just comes from just very um, sim simplistic um, panel descriptions, just focusing on a specific action, a specific thing that should be shown and not really telling the artist how that should be shown. Yeah. Well, this is a lesson. I'm going to clip that into a short and share it as much as I can. Writers, give your artists some space. <laughs> They'll do cool things for you. Yeah. Cool to see. Well, I want to jump over, if we can, to Peter's book, um, Pioneers. Um, Blood and Stars. Go back to the uh, top here, um, Peter. If you want to jump back in and, and give us a little more detail on the on the story, um, how it came about, uh, what this particular issue covers, and uh, just give us the rundown there in a little more detail. Sure. 
Um, so the story started in, in book one um, with Lilu, uh, who is the vampire girl, um, arriving on um, a mining colony on Enceladus. And, and, and I think, you know, in terms of, in terms of um, sort of Alien or the Sean Connery Outland movie, you know, um, uh, uh, just a, a, you know, or Aliens rather, uh, a little mining colony uh, in our solar system. So it's about 150 years in the future. And she arrives there looking for as much as a vampire ever could, a quiet life. She's really looking to see, can my kind exist in a new environment? Uh, the backstory behind it is that Earth is a little trashed. Um, there's not an awful lot of space left there for a subculture to be free and expand and live the way they want to live, even if the way they want to live maybe is questionable to uh, <laughs> to, uh, to to the rest of the rest of the community. But she arrives out there really just looking to exist be on her own, do her own thing, um, and just, you know, see what's, um, see if she can live. Um, and in episode one, she meets, uh, actually on the on the plane, on the ship, going out there, um, a couple of characters, um, one a young girl called Began, um, who I'm kind of trying to write her as the most annoying person you could ever meet, right? She's really, really cute. She won't take, that's her with the pink hair. She won't take no for an answer. Mm -hmm. Um, she, um, and she's kind, even though she's younger and obviously doesn't realize how much younger than, uh, than Lilu she is, she's kind of befriending her and isn't going to let her go. So for, for me, it's kind of a story about unexpected friendships mm -hmm. and Lilu is kind of drawn to this girl and doesn't really understand why she's a vampire, right? They have, she's had, you know, nigh on 200 years to think of humans as cattle. But there's something going on here. Um, in in episode one, um, there's a, a sort of an industrial accident that happens, um, and Lilu, for whatever reason, finds herself saving Began, um, and he's really confused as to why. And in that, they meet a couple of other uh, uh, other reasonably fun characters. There's a you guys call um, baristas, right? That's that's a that's a universal yep. word. Right. There's a uh, the, the coffee shops on this uh, colony are staffed by droids. So there's a, a, a robot barista called Costa, which is a play on a brand name of a coffee chain we have over here. I hope I don't get sued. Uh, no one's noticed yet. <laughs> um, um, and the guy there in the orange shirt, Angelo, he works for the emergency services. So you've got this little little group coming together um, and they haven't noticed that Lilu is sticking out like a sore thumb. So they're trying to settle her into this place where they've, you know, uh, they have more understanding of it. This is not Began's first time uh, on a colony. So even though she's younger, she's trying to show her the ropes. Um, and the first episode um, uh, ends um, with the with the, 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 the four of them um, sitting together, and Lilu gets this sort of hang on, what am I doing here kind of moment. And we continue that in, uh, in, in episode two. Um, and what we bring in, in in episode two, there's more of this confusing friendship. It goes much more extreme um, in this episode. 
And because of the confusion um, and Lilu not being quite in her right mind, somebody is arriving on the colony, a new mayor is arriving on the colony, and that's going to spell a lot of trouble for the characters. But Lilu's so wrapped up in her own head, she's not going to see this coming. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we go in issue two. Yeah. I've got to interject with one thing here. You've sure. got this bunny sitting here. <laughs> it's not peeing on anything. It's not, <laughs> it's not chewing up anything that it should nope. be chewing up. And uh, I've got two of those downstairs, and I'll tell you that has not been my experience. <laughs> Their behavior. <laughs> she spends um, – her name is um, Miss Tiggy Winkle, um, which is a Beatrix Potter character, but, of course, is a hedgehog in the Beatrix mm-hmm. Potter. So, again, that just kind of shows – that that vegan is maybe not quite on the same plane as the rest of us because she gives her <laughs> rabbit a hedgehog's name. Um, yeah. So you know that's the kind of thing that I'm trying to play with the characters, you know, a little bit and and, and give them a, a little bit more than uh, uh, than just the dimensions on the on, on the on the page. Yeah, and you said you do you do all the up to the line art uh, yourself. Yes. Yeah. And you have someone else. The colors are great. Um, as yes. Well, the, the color is amazing. Uh, that's yeah, a, a great job. Falk um, Hansel. Oh, well, I'm um, sorry, what? Uh, Falk Hansel, his name is. Um, okay. He works out of um, Ontario, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. um, we met when I was doing my first series, the Wren series, um, over one of those Facebook groups, Tony, that you, you were talking about. When I was looking for a cover artist, I, I did the first uh, issue with only one cover because, again, not really experienced with, with, with variant covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did a cover for me for issue three of Red. I'll just show you, just, can you see that? Oh, I can, let me see if I can uh, make you a little bigger here. There okay. we go. And I just thought that was just an incredible piece of work. Yeah, love that. It's beautiful. Um, and I asked him to come back to do other covers. He was gonna do a, a cover for, um, uh, uh, for this book, um, for issue one. Um, and I had a bit of, um, a bit of trouble finding a colorist for this. I wanted to work with, you know, I, I like working with different people. Um, I, I find the collaboration part of it, Tony, I've not experienced the real highs that, you know, that, that you have with people all, all coming together. But I love, I just love working with different people and different cover artists. And that that's the cover that Falk's done for, uh, for this one. So as I say, and Falk said um, that he would color the whole book for me. Now, I've, I've never known him to do that for anyone before. I was saying most of the time he's a games designer. I think he has colored a couple of other comics, but it's really, you know, one or two and, and that's it. And he, he's enjoying the story so much that he said he wanted to, to, to give it a go. And I think he, his colors are amazing. I think it just makes the book beautiful. Yeah, I agree. It's really nice stuff. I've always, I color my own stuff, but I've really always kind of wanted to find a colorist uh, to work with. I'm just curious to see how it would look really if I wasn't doing it. Um, and obviously to, to help out a little bit with time. Um, as, as far as the writing uh, relates to you doing the art yourself, um, do you, uh, how do you start your, do you kind of do a rough breakdown of pages? Do you do dialogue first? Are you kind of revising things in your script as you draw it? Um, how, how flexible is your process there? All, all of the above. It's, it's becoming slightly less um, uh, flexible um, because I'm now working with, I think someone you know, Frank Pritterese, who works with um, Clay Adams. I'm not sure I've met him. Yeah, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. He's an editor. Um, he's he's um, uh, worked with DC. He's worked with Marvel. 
um, for Nickelodeon for or for many years, and he's now freelance and 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 does uh, uh, indie books. Um, so yeah, he works with Clay a lot on you know things like the, the Nightmare Theatre, and you know I, I know you know those those those, um, uh, those Clay's studio, um, and he put me in touch with um, with Frank at the start of this year. Um, and Frank asked me the same question and I said, well, I don't know, I kind of write stuff down and then I draw stuff and then I make little little comics on folded pieces of paper that sort of tell me where the panels are going to go uh, and things like that. And he said, OK, yeah, you're a nightmare. Uh, you need to learn how to do this a little bit better. And he's been so patient with me, um, you know, and I have said to him, um, you know, on several occasions, you know, you can just tell me to stop. If, if you want, you can just say, Pete, you, you're not going to get this. This is not for you. Go find somebody else to write this stuff for you. But he's persevered because um, he thinks I, you know, I can do it. Um, and, um, and yeah, and, and he didn't have anything to do with issue one. I gave him all the baggage from issue one. Um, and he, we sat down and he said, okay, where's this going? Um, and I told him and he went, no, no, I don't think that's sensible. Um, so we did a lot of rewrites um, during the, the first and the first quarter of the year. And what we've got now is it, it, it's obviously it's the same story, but it's much, much tighter. Um, and, and bits of it that probably weren't going to make a lot of sense make sense now. Um, so so, I'm, so that, that's kind of my process is it, 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 it condensing. So what I'm doing now is condensing. I, I write a, uh, what's going to happen in this episode. So we've written the story arc planned for five issues what's going to happen in each episode and then we just move down until what's going to happen per page and what's going to happen per panel um where i score if you like tony where my work scores above you'll pardon the expression yours i don't have to write much artist um, um or, or much artist notes because when frank says i'm sorry i don't get what's happening in this panel i go ah it's all here. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it saves ink if nothing else, but um, and and does give myself that flexibility to change things around because I do I I, I do change things as I'm drawing it. Um, I think no, that that sort of five panel page isn't going to work. It needs to be a three panel page. Exactly what you were saying, Ben. I've written six panels and all of them say large. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, so you have to be kind to yourself, right? When when, and I know you've described yourself, Ben, as a as a as a as a, a, an artist who writes, right? So yeah. you, I think yeah. you've experienced some of this too. Yeah, I'm definitely an artist first, and that's uh, I did find I did work with an editor briefly on my first story, and they did the same thing that uh, in terms of condensing the story that you you said you ran into, uh, and I found that to be that that was more of a a market decision, I think, to, to go to four issues from the seven or 12 I had initially wanted to do. Uh, but I did find that when I had to go in and make those decisions, the story was just a much stronger emotional ride. It, it had yeah. a, a better act structure, I think better pacing. Um, and it did work to iron out a lot of plot points. I was like, all right, how are they going to get out of this thing? And then somehow when I condensed it, because uh, I lived with it for so long, a lot of those story knots untied themselves. Uh, yeah. When I kind of had to shake it up a little bit, look at it through fresh eyes. Uh, a lot of things worked that weren't working and I think it was much stronger. So I think there's a lot to be said for getting another pair of eyes on your work. Um, somebody editing, either co-writing, something like that is, uh, is definitely worth looking into, especially when you're doing everything by yourself. Yes. 
And I, I've worked in big group projects. My career before this was IT. So I'm used to working in big teams where the sum of the parts is always greater than the, or, you know, that the whole is always greater than the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. and, and I find the same thing here. If you put people together and say, go on, go make something really good out of this, then they can do it. it it's, it's an awesome process to be part of. Yeah, and I think it, it's kind of kismet that we had you guys on together. I think in a lot of ways, you're, the combination of genres you're both doing is, is pretty similar um, from a surface perspective. And I, I think the, the comments you guys have both had about working with your teams, um, what you've learned and, and how well you've managed uh, to, to find ways to work together that have brought out everybody's strengths uh, is really cool to hear. I didn't expect to hear um, such good and I think kind of clear illustrations of, of teams really amplifying one another in, in such cool ways. Mm -hmm. It wasn't always like that. But it is, it's, 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 it's now. <laughs> of course. But but yeah, a, I mean, it's a lot of frogs, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is probably true. But yeah, these um, these are both great books. Uh, I'm going to throw um, Star and War in the comments again real quick. Um, so everybody go check that out. Um, that has, I believe, 28 days to go. Um, yeah. yeah, 28 days, yeah. And it is uh, over the halfway point on its goal. Yeah. Um, we have about 24 days to go. And, uh, and Peter, you've met your goal for, for Pioneers, which is cool to see. Um, let's get back to this one. But, um, yeah, everybody who's watching, if you're watching now, watching later, um, we have these links in the description. We have them in the comments. And uh, definitely go check these out. Um, guys, uh, it was awesome to talk about these projects with you. Um, I'm really excited for both these books. And it was uh, heard a lot of great stuff about, you know, your process, um, and, and how these, all the things that really show up and make these books look cool and I think stand out, um, you did, you took some very intentional steps to make that work creatively. And it, it was, um, I think there's a lot to learn from that. So very cool stuff to hear. But um, Joey and I are going to talk about a few books um, uh, that we're promoting and working on ourselves and a few other things. So Joey, uh, what's going on with, uh, with some of the Geek Collective uh, network of uh, books? So right now we're working on uh, we're working uh, uh, to get don't push the red button out, which is a 100 plus page anthology. Sorry, I'm over here like it's it's still a little early for me. It's like noon. I, I, I'm usually still <laughs> sleeping. No, just kidding. <laughs> but no, uh, don't push the red button is a 100 page anthology. We have 11 different stories with over 30 professional uh, comic book creators. We have some blockbuster. Uh, creators like uh, Francesca Fantini doing some cover work, Leanna Kangas doing some cover. Um, she, uh, Francesca even has some interior uh, work inside one of the stories. We have Travis Gibb, Marcus Onasso, uh, Mario Candelaria, uh, all kinds of really great people. We even might, and here's, I haven't said anything and nobody knows this yet, but there might even be, a, a, maybe if we reach a goal, there might be a story with Tom and Tom napolitano so make sure you guys are checking out some of this stuff uh go to geekcollective.net slash red button and sign up today we are going to be going live on monday um so if you guys are really love some really cool stuff uh like like some really fun stuff like some anthologies check this one out this one the prompt for this one was um if you were approached by someone to push a button and you get a lot of money you got to make a life-changing decision 
But what if a what if that was at the cost of somebody close to you dying? Would you still press the button? Um, so we're gonna follow eleven different stories talking about that exact scenario and whether they push the button or they have or they're about to or we're gonna see all kinds of really fun stuff. It spans over uh, so many different genres like horror, supernatural, thriller, uh, even even suspense and drama. Like there's so much really cool stuff inside this this story um uh i did not send you a preview link ben i'm sorry i did not do that get that over to you so we can look at the behind the scenes um but i promise you guys there's some really cool stuff we try to keep this simple as possible and as clear as possible so that you guys can just get in there i love this thing this is going to be over 100 pages um gorgeous gorgeous artwork inside yeah, very cool stuff. I've seen a little bit of this book as well. Um, really good, really great teams, some really nice artwork, uh, and the covers are great too. So um, very excited about this one. Um, I'm going to have some, I'm going to drop uh, the first piece of artwork from Scarlet Twilight Part 2 uh, on our show this Sunday. So anybody watching, come back on Sunday. Um, we'll have some stuff. I showed the sketch a few weeks ago, but I'm really excited about dropping this piece and, uh, and getting the campaign rolling. That'll be coming out probably early next year. So follow along in the show and uh, you'll get to see that. Uh, the only other thing I think we wanted to cover uh, that I can remember, unless I'm wrong, is uh, we always wanted to remind everybody to um, we have a deal with uh, Gemini Comic Supply to get a bit of a deal on your Gemini mailers. Um, I say this just about every week, but I'm always seeing people complain about comics showing up in a plastic wrapper or an envelope getting damaged. And uh, you got to got to find ways to spring for those Gemini mailers. So. One way you can make that a little easier is heading over to Geek Collective, um, go into the link from there, Gemini Comic Supply, put in the code Geek Collective ten, and uh, and get a little bit, make it a little bit easier to do the right thing for your campaign. What's cool, Ben, is as I didn't tell you today, uh, I got a picture sent to me through a text message today, where one of the creators who used this code, uh, they sent me a, a picture of their till after they used the code. It was going to be close to three hundred dollars. It dropped it down to. A little bit under two hundred, so it like if it's it's it works, it helps. Uh, so ten percent is ten percent, man, and you, that's that's you could use that, you know what I mean, to to on the on on something else, right? You can buy yourself a handful of you know, energy drinks or something. <laughs> so, but but it, it saves you money. It definitely saves you at least uh, anywhere, if, uh, depending on how much you put into it, anywhere from anywhere from eighty to like two hundred dollars. I've heard some people uh, save, and and if and and here we go, right? Here's the here's the. I'm gonna go back to marketing, right? Mark part of marketing where we're getting these books out there. We want these people to really love these books, right? We put all of our work into this, our blood, sweat, and tears into this thing, and to fail getting these things shipped out to them in pristine condition. Uh, because we can't, I mean, unfortunately, when it leaves our our hands, we can't have any control over that. So it is up to us to make sure that we are making sure that that book gets to our backers in a proper way. And one of those ways is Gemini Mailer or, you know, wrapping that thing up as good as possible so that you make sure that it's not going to re be received damaged, right? Because it, it's always really hard hard to look at you to be super excited to see that that, oh man, I'm getting that book today because I just got an email saying that it's showing up at my doorstep. And then you open up the package and it's bent or damaged or broken. And you're just, it stinks, right? You were looking forward to it. And the one thing that we could do is 
take that little bit of extra step. And yeah, it does cost a little bit of more money, but here we go. Here's 10% off so that you guys can save just a little bit there so that we can make sure that these things get to our backers mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in pristine condition. Yeah. And I think that's important, especially, you know, we kind of been working on so many cool variant covers um, with lots of interesting materials. You got your glow stuff, you've got your foil stuff, and it's a shame to get that damage. So check yeah. out that, use that code, um, plan that in your campaigns. And uh, if you're watching this and you're a creator and uh, I don't think you'll regret it. Yeah. But- we talked a little bit about, uh, about like, you know, marketing and, and needing some help. And some of us aren't the best at, you know, social media and promotion you know especially with with artists and writers when you guys have your heads down doing the work and creating right it's really hard for you guys to make the switch from doing that and then jumping on social media and put yourself out there because it feels like it's a huge job all on its own right so it is collective (laughs) right it is it really is and so Geek Collective, we made it easy for you guys to 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 do something like that where where we offer services we, we are a, a full service comic book studio where we do have artists, we create, we have writers, we have colorists, we have cover artists, interior artists, graphic designers. Uh, uh, Benjamin's on the team. He's a cover artist, interior artist, and uh, an audio and video engineer as well. So so he does, he makes trailers and stuff like that too. Um, I am an, a, an audio engineer by trade as well. So we, we do some video and some audio work as well. But um and as well as a graphic designer so we have so many different services for comic book creators to to help you guys out when you do have your head down creating that you guys can you know come talk to us and we'll and we'll we'll you know make sure that we are still making sure that you are out in the forefront even though that you're creating in the back end and making it a little bit easier for you to still kind of grow that base and keep you know keep that base uh aware that that hey you got something coming up and, and it's always one of those big things is, is, is I don't want to say pet peeve, but if I always see, I, I can always tell when a creator is about to launch a Kickstarter or, or a new project is because all of a sudden they start coming out of the woodwork when you haven't seen them for a few months. So uh, uh, let's, let's try I, I feel to make targeted, sure you guys. Really. I feel targeted. <laughs> I know you feel seen. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, but the, the best thing that we could do for you guys is, is to make sure that you're still seen right uh, during that time that you guys need to have your heads down. So make sure you guys are heading on over to geekcollective.net and checking out all our cool services that we offer. Um, and, and we can help you guys out there. Cool. Absolutely. Well, guys, um, thanks again for coming on the show. It was awesome to meet you. Yeah. And uh, the books look amazing. I'm glad to see they're doing so well. Uh, everybody watching now or later, thanks for checking out the stream and uh, definitely go and check out the Geek Collective Network, and check out these great books. I think that'll do it for today. Check us out. We're going to be live on Sunday night again this week with some other great books to go over. But for now, we'll uh, we'll, we'll sign off, and we will see you this Sunday. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much, guys. Take Thank care. You. Thanks, guys.